Hey, welcome to episode eight of the Letterpress Digest podcast. Uh, in this Thanksgiving episode, uh, I talk with Adrian Ramos of Ramco Roller. This is a really cool and fascinating conversation. We really get into the nitty gritty of uh, roller making for Letterpress. Adrian has a really long history in the business, uh, and it's really fascinating to hear about the Letterpress community from his perspective. So uh, I really hope. You enjoy it. Here we go. Hey there, thanks for listening. Uh, today, I'm really excited to welcome Adrian of Ramco Rollers. Welcome to the podcast, Adrian. Why, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad to talk to you. Absolutely. So, I- I'm really curious, how did you get into the letterpress roller business? Well, actually, it started out uh, a-, a while back when, uh, okay, you could say that uh, in high school, I majored in mechanical technology. Uh, and that was back in the late 60s, early 70s. And uh, as a result, uh, I learned how to operate machine tools and so forth. And and as I was working, my father was a superintendent at a rubber company. Uh, he hired me on to cling the machines and sweep up and do that kind of stuff after classes. And that's what I did. So I kind of got involved with rubber at that point in time. So what I did, though, was I applied my knowledge of machine tools to rubber production, rubber parts production. And it could have been anything from wheels to uh, pulleys to uh, industrial rollers and and that type of thing. So it all kind of fit in. And eventually, after I traveled around the country a little bit, uh, I came back to California and... uh, started working uh, with my father again, who had started a, uh, a small roller company in Southgate, Southgate, California. Well, uh, at that time, that particular business was doing a lot of letterpress rollers. So they had tons of cores and all kind of different things that, uh, pertaining to letterpress that uh, were sitting in the back. And so, as a result, uh, I kind of got my first exposure, and this was back in the late 70s, I would say, late 70s, early okay. 80s, and, you know, I started working working with letterpress at that particular time, you know, so. Uh, the uh, letterpress industry at that time was slowly actually uh, fading away, because right. the, newer presses, the newer presses were coming in from... Japan and Germany, the Heidelbergs and the Camoris and so forth. I ain't going to excuse the truck out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's no problem. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and, and what happened was that letterpress basically faded away there for, for a while, actually. And then, as things would have it, uh, in the 90s, uh, I could see signs of, of that particular printing application slowly getting uh, outsourced and, and consolidated and so forth. And so as a result, uh, the, you know, the letterpress 
kind of made a little inroad in the 90s and 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 starting in the 2000s it 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 started picking up more and more because people were wanting more and more of a as you could say a hands-on artistic type of printing that right. was uh peculiar to letterpress and and so I noticed it at that time so uh-huh. what I started doing was you know I started uh, kind of uh paying more attention to letterpress again, which I thought had just gone into the dustbin of history. You right, know? right, right. But it didn't, you know. So <laughs> I saw I saw signs of it picking up again and everything. I was like, well there's life in this yet, you know. I think we can um I think we can um encourage a little um little more life to it by offering um switching a little bit here to uh, to producing letterpress rollers. And, right. And uh, basically, that's what I did. I started. I started making them, and, um, and then, and then at that time, there were so many different letterpress uh, presses actually that uh, I didn't know any of the the background, the the different types of presses that were mm-hmm. out there, and so forth. And and they just kind of, you know, it was kind of mind-boggling at first. Right. But I started uh, creating a, like a database on these things here, and I and I put up a small website. And um, and in com- in combination with this database and saving all the uh, specifications and forth so forth and and also uh, trying to do some research on the internet as far as the uh, all the different letter presses that are out there, uh, I started kind of getting a good idea of what uh, of what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, did you take over your dad's business, or or did you kind of well? Actually, what happened was that um, this was in the late seventies and so okay. forth, and it was small. It was a small business. So actually, we had about uh, ten employees at the time. But the, at that time, we were doing a lot of industrial rollers and you right. know and larger printing press rolls. And um, uh, the recession of the um, early eighties hit pretty bad. Hit us pretty hard. So. Uh, we downsized, and and then eventually, what I did was uh, I just moved off on my own and got a small shop, and and uh, uh, and and he uh, went to work for some other people, not not related to the roller industry, it was something else altogether. Okay. Uh, but uh, so that so it kind of faded away there. That particular business, the one that was in Southgate. Right. Um, so. Uh, I, at that time, I, I struggled through for a few years there, um, you know, on my own, and was able to, you know, survive, survive the startup, and and actually uh, started doing very well in the '90s when when the economy was good, mm-hmm. you know. So that's that's how that worked out. So, right. Well, um, it all you... worked out good, actually. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear. Um, did you guys? Yeah start so in the 70s you said uh, you were working at your dad's shop and you guys did do some letterpress roller business but mostly not so i'm curious did you have many orders for letterpress or was that even sort of a primary part of your your business's income at the time or did you kind of ha- like you said have to just learn it all all together when you when you started out well no actually um it, it was it was part of the business you could say um but naturally, we concentrated on the uh, on the larger industrial type rolls. Right. Uh, we never gave letterpress actually letterpress rollers a second thought. They always came in second as far as uh, uh, getting them uh, finished and redone and so forth. Because 
like I say, it, it, they started becoming far and few in between the orders for letterpress rolls. Right. So, yeah, you you could tell that it it was it, it wasn't a, a a paying proposition compared to say a large eight inch by uh, sixty or seventy inch roller that was you know right that you know we could we could make a lot more doing that kind of thing than than letterpress so we didn't really pay much attention to letterpress at that time. But um, like I say, one of the main reasons was that we weren't getting a lot of orders for letterpress. Yeah. You know, at that at that particular time, it it did start to kind of fade out. Um, and then, of course, uh, the company that uh, my father had uh, started, well, he had bought the remnants of a company that had been in business before called the uh, Sierra Roller. Um, they were heavy into producing uh, polyurethane. Um, polyurethane rollers for the letterpress industry. Uh, polyurethane was relatively new at the time. It wasn't a new product, but uh, it was new as far as putting on rollers at, mm-hmm. at that particular time. And, uh, of course, polyurethane without stabilizers in it and so forth uh, becomes a pretty big mess. <laughs> in fact, I still run into rollers that are made out of polyurethane uh they're they're melted on the core and so forth that type of thing yeah um yeah it's just uh it's just a mess is that but, uh, is that what's ref- called as composition rollers polyurethane no comp- nope. composition is an entirely different uh uh thing that 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 had a as a matter of fact one of the guys that uh uh that was working with me he was a a good salesman at that time uh he bought a small composition roller called Kramer Roller Company in, in downtown Los Angeles uh, they strictly produced composition rollers. Um, composition is a uh, is a is a gel. It's uh, it's it, it's an organic, almost an organic kind of a compound that's uh, liquid to begin with, and then as it's heated and put in an oven, it it sets up. But it's uh, it's a gel. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of uh, tensile strength, you could say, or, or cut and tear resistance and that type of thing. Uh, it, it was one of the original, um, well, actually, I guess, uh, according to the International Printing Museum, which I, which I work closely with, uh, rollers were actually made out of leather, coated. They were coated in leather. Really? And, yeah, there was, they, were wood, they were made out of wood. The cores were made out of wood, and they would tack leather on. And somehow or another, they would they would um, smooth out that seam so it was barely perceptible. So uh, as they you know where the leather came together, mm-hmm. so or they were able to shrink it on and so forth. So it was actually, uh, rollers were made out of leather to pick up ink at the beginning. But then they came out with composition uh, back. Oh, I don't know exactly when composition came in, but. Uh, Composition was the big thing for letterpress. It was the new material, right. but that was that was what fifty, seventy five hundred years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, like I say, I don't know too much uh, about the history of composition itself. Okay. You know, right? Yeah, but um, yeah. So anyway, then the polyurethane was uh, coming on strong. They started using it for skateboard wheels. That's what made the skateboard industry take off. Was uh, the the creation of a a polyurethane for the wheels rather than the steel wheels that they used to have 
uh, where you hit a rock and you go flying, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now that you so mentioned it, I know those. I, I'm, I'm familiar with that type of uh, material. I've seen those wheels before. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so that's polyurethane. Now, it's a harder polyurethane than they put on rollers, but right. uh, it, it's still the same type of material. And um, so that, that went on for a while, and then people eventually got out of that, too. So because of the, um, you know, it, it was hard to process, for one thing, you know. Uh, it was, uh, and, and, the, and the second thing is that we're getting returns on, on the things. Um, it, it wasn't very heat-compatible, uh, or, or actually it was very hydrophobic, so to speak, and water was even bad for it uh, at that particular mm-hmm. time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that kind of went by the wayside anyways. Uh, I mean, it's a good material, but uh, right. it... it 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 you know it just has its little quirks. Well, you know, so. when did the uh, rubber rollers enter the scene? Well, rubber has been around for quite a while. Uh, you know how rubber was started by the you know they were they were uh, tapping the trees, the rubber trees for that, and that was uh, rubber started coming in. Gosh, over a hundred years ago, or maybe actually Goodyear found a, a way of. Uh, they could use rubber, but uh, it, it, it would get hard and freeze, and it would get real soft in the summer, and it was real hard to work with and, and to apply until Goodyear uh, uh, found a way to vulcanize it, and that's what they call you know vulcanization. He was fooling around with some sulfur and different things. If you kind of look that up, look up Goodyear and the process of vulcanization, you'll see how it was done at the time. And so he was able to stabilize uh, and cross-link the uh, molecules of the rubber. Uh, the tree sap, actually, is what it was, and uh, and and produced something that was uh, that was more stable. So once it became more stable, uh, it was able to be used on on different things. They started putting it on on wheels and bicycle tires and mm-hmm. uh, you know cars and stuff when they first started making cars and. So anyway, the the rubber rubber came in uh, at the beginning of the century, full force, I guess you could say. But it was only one type of rubber. There wasn't very many different types of rubber, and it was all natural, natural rubber. It um, it was dependent on the the rubber tree groves in in uh, Asia, Southeast Asia, and uh, so the so what happened though was that. With all the World War II and the conflict and so forth, uh, natural rubber was almost impossible to get. You know, the, it's just uh, right. the political situation made it impossible to get. So the United States and the Allies and the uh, even the, the Germans and the Japanese, they all raced to develop a, a synthetic rubber. The Germans seemed to be a little more uh, successful at it at the time. They produced a, a nitrile rubber uh which they called a, a, a buna, a buna. We call it buna, but they, they, I guess they pronounce it buna, B-U-N-A. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the name of the company, that the German company that uh, uh, synthesized this type of material. And they were able to make some different rubbers out of um, different compounds and so forth without having to use uh, the natural rubber from the tree. So uh, then after the war, of course, it, it started taking off, and they mm-hmm. started using using that type of material in um, 
it was uh, it was a big thing. I mean, you know, chemists uh, majored in in that and right. and so forth, and they developed different types for different uh, different resistance. You know what I mean? As far as um, like some would be good for uh, ozone, some would be good for wear, some rubbers would be good for uh, bounce, like mm-hmm. the Super Bowl. You know, yeah. some uh, yeah. I don't know if you remember the Super Bowl. That that was actually an accident. Uh, and it's a funny story. My father was working at the at the uh, company that uh, discovered the Super Bowl, and it, it uh, they eventually sold it to Whammo. But uh, uh, before that happened, uh, the, the chemist uh, that worked there was just fooling around with different compounds and so forth and mixing different things. And so he cured this one thing. And it was brittle and hard, and he didn't know what to do with it. But he dropped it. It bounced. <laughs> bounce like crazy, you know. So he figured, wow, this is something. Maybe I could do something with it. So he put it in a, a small ball mold and, and 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 made a little ball out of it. And there, the super the super ball was born. But it was basically an accident uh, that that was discovered. But that's 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 the thing about rubber, synthetic rubbers, is that uh, you can uh, chemists can re recompound it and add and subtract things. There's various right. different uh, additives and so forth that, that make it what it is. Well, getting back to printing press rollers, uh, they were, uh, the environment was kind of warm because those things were running and they were thousands and hundreds of thousands of pages and so forth and they were running 24-7 and they were using inks and solvents and so forth, uh, cleaners and this and that. They needed to find a rubber that would resist all of that right. and, and do well. And so they came up with a nitrile blend. Um, like I say, it was developed earlier, but they improved on it with different chemicals and so forth. And uh, they made a uh, they made a, a good uh, rubber for uh, printing rollers, uh, specifically for printing rollers. You couldn't put rubber that kind of rubber on the automobile tire <laughs> you might get you might get 500 miles out of it you know yeah. but uh uh that's that's what they use for printing rollers and they and uh they used it uh they used it uh exclusively in Germany and Japan and so forth for all these printing presses a very good material and and uh we use it here for recovering rollers uh, but the OEM people uh, they 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 really went all out on that, and, and it, it works well. And to this day, there's still you know there's printing big printing presses out there that are still working, although they're far and few between. But they're um, like I say, they consolidated, and, and uh, but they're that the, the material's still working. Now they do have to get recovered because you know over right. time anything will wear out and you know eventually get harder and so forth. You know, but uh, for the most part, they lasted quite a while. And uh, they it did a real good job as far as laying out ink and so forth, you know. Yeah. So that got back to letterpress with me is what I did was decided, you know, rather than fool around with all the polyurethane or or composition or any of that, that uh, composition's kind of weather sensitive also. And mm-hmm. I just kind of wanted something that, that had been proven out in the field uh, uh, as far as industrial type rollers printing and uh, apply it to letterpress, and it worked excellent. (laughs) (laughs) It worked great. I mean, people love it. Now, there's some purists out there, and I don't blame them for being this way, but... uh, they they stick they they stick with uh, composition you know yeah 
they're kind of uh yeah this is the old style this is the old way well fine that's great you know right but uh other people just want to print <laughs> right yeah <laughs> you know and they absolutely. want something that works and something that'll last and something that's reasonably priced and and something that uh, if they drop it it'd be okay and you know yeah. and and you know different things like there's a lot of benefits to uh, a, a good rubber roller so yeah uh, so I, as a result the the word of mouth uh, started uh, uh started going and and say, oh yeah i bought some rubber rollers from this guy and they work great and he said well okay what's his name i'll try them out and, and so forth you know so that it worked out pretty good and and that's, and that's how i got most of my business actually it was through word of mouth i i didn't wow. advertise or anything yeah yeah, yeah so that's cool i did that's yeah. ex- ex- uh totally how my wife and i heard about you i think we saw uh people talking about ramco rollers on briar press and so when we just got our Vandercook not too long ago we sent our cores to you to have them recovered and it seems like that's a lot of or maybe most of what you do is sort of bringing presses back to life by, you know, recovering uh, a lot of those old rollers. Yes, yes, definitely. Bring them back to life. I mean, there's a lot of uh, elbow grease involved in there as far as uh, cleaning these presses up and right. and get, and getting them going, you know. But uh, that's that's fine. There are even companies out there now that are uh, uh, casting parts. They 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 find one original part. And and they'll they'll make a mold and they'll actually cast parts so that they can find so that people can replace parts that are mm-hmm. broken or because they a lot of them were made out of cast iron or right. you know or or simple pot metal and that type of thing, but um, yeah, um, I'm glad you I'm glad you like the uh, Vandercook. <laughs> is it working well for you? It is, yeah. yeah Prince Prince like a charm. Those uh, those rollers work great as long as I get them yeah. uh, at the right height. Uh, that's something I've been working on, but uh, but yeah, that's uh, they definitely work well. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's a standard height on on you know diameter on on Vandercooks and but uh, yeah, once you get that set up and it, it works great. Yeah. yeah, and it's the same thing with all the other presses. You know the right. all the way from the small tabletop models to the you know the larger uh, uh, motor driven letter presses. You know so uh, you know a lot of people now too are are, are refurbishing and 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 putting back into uh, use these uh, Heidelbergs, these um, these uh, 1015 Heidelbergs, which is the letterpress. You know? right. It's pretty neat, yeah. So, well, but, so uh, do you, for, okay. for the rollers, do you often have to refurbish the, so, I mean, basically these are um, rubber rollers on metal cores, and they vary in size dramatically depending on if it's, you know, a tabletop press or a Vandercook or something along those lines. But do exactly. You have, yes, do you do. have to mm-hmm. rebuild those parts, like the cores or the trucks, or do people just send you that and you just throw the rubber on? Uh, both, actually. Both? Uh, I would say uh, 80% of it is that people have their cores. They they have them on there. They're just this old material on the on their existing cores and and their trucks are usually okay and uh it it's it's cut more cost effective for them to get those recovered also uh they're recycling in a sense you know they're using right. their old core again and I'll put new rubber and and of course polish up the core and the and the trucks and so forth so where they're uh they look almost like new as new as they can look you mm-hmm. know for for being a 100 year old core and uh they um they work well that way too, for the most part. Now some of them are are, are pretty worn. They've they've been abused, 
I'll uh, I'll recommend that uh, they get new new cores, um, and, and because uh, you know some people are are going to uh, what do they call these uh, polymer plates? Yep. On right. The, yep. And uh, now those have to be uh, if you're going to be printing with polymer plates, there's a lot of detail involved and so forth. So you want something that's going to be uh, concentric which is something else I'll get to if you remind me later. Okay. Uh, everything has got to be concentric. Everything has got to be uh, precise to the point where when that roller rolls over and, and coats that plate, uh, there's no back, there's no light and dark and ghosting and that type of thing. You want it, you want it perfect. Well, in order for that to happen, that core has to be perfectly straight. Now, if you're just running over type, and especially the way they're designed, a lot of letter presses are designed. Uh, if you're just running over type, uh, composition, anything like that would just squish the rubber on. That's fine, and then they they print. But um, when you get a little more detailed, you have to have a good roller. So I, that's why one of the reasons I ask on my order forms is to use polymer plates. Um, if the rollers are bent, if the if the ends of the shafts are worn. They might get a bounce if the trucks are waddling on the on the end of the cores. Right. Uh, they can get a they can get a, a some kind of a bounce while they're rolling over the rails. Uh, there's a lot of different things that can happen. So, uh, but the main thing is that everything should be concentric and and fairly tight and firm uh, because it is a, a machine part. And, it, and as a matter of fact, it's one of the most important machine parts of the whole press. Is is the roller? <laughs> mm-hmm. you, ink, it has it, it has to it has to do the it does the inking yeah right. so um, yeah I, I like I say I do both uh, I'll make new cores uh, it, it, I have the specs for I don't know how many different several hundred or I don't know if it's that many but lots and lots and lots of letter presses so I can I can make cores mm-hmm. I can uh, make the new trucks if necessary or just the trucks. For the existing cores, or just a core, and then use their trucks. But usually, I like to make them as a set because they're tight and they fit, and they, yeah, you know, they go everything well. works right. together. They go well, yeah. So I'll do that. But like I say, eighty percent of the time, most of the rollers are good, and, and I'll recover them, and it saves them uh, money, the the cost of the core and the cost of new trucks. Okay. And they're they're using their old their old parts again, right. their original parts. Yeah. So, well, so. Yeah. What would the tell me about the process? If so, for instance, when I sent you our our cores for our Vandercook, what does the process look like for you, including kind of setting up, I guess, the the order and and recovering those and the machinery and walk us through that process. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. What happens is that uh, FedEx, UPS, or the Postal Service will will bring me a box, and uh, there'll be rollers in there. Now, normally, what we do is we like to uh, contact uh, the people, uh, or the people contact us, and, and we email them uh, an order form, and they they dis- briefly describe the press and if there's any anything special they want or anything else, and and the and the rollers that they want recovered, and of course their contact information and right. so forth. You know, so okay, once we get that, and that's usually inside the box most of the time. Sometimes I get a handwritten note, which is fine. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, I can do that as long mm-hmm. as I have a phone number. You know, I'll mm-hmm. work work with that. Um, but uh, I get that order. I, I open the box. I get the rollers out. I look at them. I make sure they're 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 
they can be recovered. And, and then what happens is that um, uh, my wife uh, inputs them into the, her system in there, and, uh, and then I'll take the roller and uh, put it on a lathe, and at that time, I stripped the old rubber off uh, using a, a rubber cutting tool. I, I'll strip all the old rubber off all the way down to the bare metal, um, and and at the same time, I'm, of course, you know, I'm, I'm inspecting it, making sure it's okay, you know. Right. And uh, and then what I'll do is I'll grind that metal where the only where the the rubber is going to bond to it. So we get down to uh, raw virgin steel underneath any anything, which uh, takes away all the contaminants and and so forth, and and anything that 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 might impede the uh, bonding process, you know. So then uh, a chemical bond is put on it, and I they're dry, I let them dry and so forth. So once that happens, then I take them to the back and put them on a. Uh, I get my rubber manufactured. Uh, to uh, the specs. I actually I used to manufacture my own rubber, so I know exactly what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. I, I have them use a formula that uh, that's their formula, my supplier's formula, but uh, I enhance it a little bit and so forth. And uh, I use that rubber. What they do is they make that rubber in slab form, and then they calendar it in big rolls uh, according to my needs. What I whatever length. Uh, I want calendared at, and it's uh, and this rubber comes in a nice big roll. Um, I take the prepared core uh, now that it's dry, and then I um, I apply the rubber. I actually roll the rubber up onto the uh, core. I make it about three eighths to half an inch larger than the call for diameter of that particular roller. So then, once that is done. I'll wrap it in a uh, uh, it's a, a mylar type of a, a wrap. It's about two inches wide, which acts as a mold, and it's and it's tight on there, and it contains that rubber. You know, I do that on a, on another lathe, and then it goes into the autoclave, where of course under pressure, heat and pressure, it kicks off the catalyst in the rubber. Um, it vulcanizes. It cross-links all the all the particulars in, inside the rubber with the rubber and in the rubber, and uh, it all becomes one piece. Then, once it cools down, after I take that, that takes about three hours, three to three to six hours in the in an autoclave. Um, it gets up to about 300 and oh, I'd say like close to 300 degrees, maybe a little more. Uh, and uh, with about 60 to 80 pounds of pressure per square inch, so that's what kicks off the catalyst, and it and it and it and it, and it also creates a uh, a secure 100% bond to the uh, core. Because see, what happens is that chemical bond it becomes part of the steel, and it also becomes part of the rubber. So then the rubber in turn becomes part of the steel. So it's a 100% bond. Right. Uh, it's it's not like it's glued on there or anything. Um, so uh, anyway, so then once it's removed, they're removed and cooled down. Um, I'll, I'll put them up on a on a grinder, depending on their size. I'll, I'll pick which grinder I'm going to use, and uh, and then uh, grind them to the specific diameter of that particular roller. Once the, once I reach that diameter, 
I take it off the grinder. Then it goes back up onto a polishing lathe where I'll um, I'll polish it and and um, it usually doesn't need very much polishing, but uh, I use a, a talc uh, as a lubricant on the rubber, and then use a, a little bit of 320 and 360, and uh, it, it gives it a real velvety smooth finish. So that um, you, you don't want it too smooth because then you start having problems with picking up on, on ink. But mm-hmm. on the same time, you don't want it too rough because that will show up. You know, also on on your uh, type, so we get it. We we get a, a happy medium there and get it just right for. Her. And then once that's done, um, I'll trim it um, to length on each end, and uh, uh, put paper on it, label it, and it's ready to go. So it's a little bit of a process. I mean, it takes it takes a little while. I mean. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I could do, I could theoretically, you know, make a roller in 24 hours, you know, but uh, um, you you, you kind of want some extra time because you're dealing with uh, rubber, you're dealing with polymers, and anything could happen. I mean, you know, some mm. it could be a little air trappage, and then I'll, I'll have to take that off and put some more rubber on it and start the process again, you know. Yeah, and, yeah but uh, you know, yeah, but uh, for the most part, it goes pretty smooth, and and. Um, and that's that's how it's done. And then uh, we'll ship them out. Uh, Jane will make a small. Uh, uh, she'll make some. She makes her little boxes and her little wooden ends that uh, support the uh, rollers. And uh, and then people can use those little wooden ends for storage too. You know, if they want to yep. put the rollers away or something. You know, so we definitely kept ours. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that keeps keeps the rubber off the you know from laying flat not that it'll take a set but some of the heavier rollers it, it could and we just don't want to take a chance on on rollers taking a, a set right. you know a, a little flat spot you know that's you know you know sometimes i get to get it where hey something's wrong with the roller <laughs> okay <laughs> well, we just had a had a, a barbell laying on it for six months you know? <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, you know. Okay, well, yeah. well I, I still take care of it. That's that's another thing too. I uh, that brings up uh, my uh, guarantee. I I I, I guarantee that I guarantee all these rollers. I mean, if somebody's not happy, I'll, I'll bend over backwards to try because I just want to see people print. You know, yeah. I, I want them. I want to see them happy. I want to see their their you know them them printing. My rollers working. I don't want any bad uh, press out there, and you know, and that's just you know good business sense. Yeah. I'd say you know, I mean, you know, and 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 so I guarantee everything, and and if somebody even if even if the mistake is on the customer end, or they put the wrong size that they wanted on there, oh, it, it didn't work. You know, they thought it was going to work, but it didn't work. I said, okay, yeah, send it back. I'll 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 adjust it. I'll I'll either put more rubber on it or take more rubber off of it or whatever mm-hmm. I have to do, you know, so well, no problem. You mentioned you, you really just want to see people printing. Um, are you yourself a, a letterpress printer? No, actually I'm not. I do have three uh, tabletop uh, Sigwalds, number, ah, okay. uh, one number 10 and one number 11. No, two number 10s and one number 11. Yeah, that's what I have. Uh, I, I rebuilt those. I put new new rollers on them, even, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're excellent working condition. They're beautiful and they're painted, and uh, I was able to uh, 
acquire uh, one of them, uh, the, the number 11, which is a two-roller system, uh, versus the number 10s, which are one-roller systems. Uh, uh, on the number 11, uh, an older gentleman walked in one day. He walked in, walk, actually walked in physically in the shop with this press in the hand. He was struggling with it. So I told him, set it on the desk. He put it on the desk, and he goes, I'd like to get these rollers recovered. And uh, I go, why, sure, I'll, I'll take care of it for you, you know. And he says, I'm just going to leave the press here. And I go, okay. You know, so he left the press there. I recovered the rollers, and I called, and it was a wrong number or something, or they didn't know anything about it and so forth. I, I forgot what the circumstances were exactly, but um, uh, he was he was lost to me for three, four months or so. So I finally did track him down. I found him, and he goes, oh, yeah, I, I remember. The, the man was in his 80s, you know. And and he goes, oh, yeah, I remember bringing those. I says, I'll, 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 be, I'll be over there. I'll come over today, later. So he came by. Uh, it was a funny story because uh, he says, yes, thanks for reminding me, you know. And I go, yeah, there's new rollers there. And I didn't want to charge him very much, you know, so I just charged him, like, 20 bucks or something you know just mm-hmm. enough for so that he you know he because he wanted to pay you know right and uh i i just kind of want to do it a favor for him but uh he uh um i go you know i've had this roller sitting on i mean this press sitting on my desk for three months uh i i kind of grew attached to it i go would you be willing to sell me this little press because in the back of my mind i thought this would make a nice nice uh bookend or a nice <laughs> object on my desk, you know, that looks yeah. pretty, and I'm I'm part of the letterpress and everything. So, and he goes, sure. He goes, I'll sell it to you. So he sold it to me for. Uh, he says, how about a hundred bucks? And I go, fine, you know. So I gave him a hundred bucks, and I go, that's a great price. Thank you. And he goes, and plus, it's got new rollers on it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I, you know, it's kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah nice, nice rollers, yeah. Um, so anyway, so that's how I got that one. The other two I got at the uh, at the Algamated uh, Printers uh, Association. Uh, uh, they, they had a big thing uh, thing over here at the International Printing Museum. I guess it was in June, July. Anyway, uh, there was a gentleman there that uh, had a couple of them there. He sold it to me real cheap. So I I said, yeah, I'll buy them for me. So I bought those two. So anyway, I refurbished them. Uh, they'll be at the Printers Fair this October uh, next week. Actually, this coming Saturday, yeah. Yeah, they'll be there. I'll have all my presses there. Hopefully, they'll be all working. I've got everything I need for it, but uh, but the but the the, the plates. <laughs> <laughs> Still working on that, you know, because, yeah. I, like I say, I'm not a printer, so I, right. I, I, I'm not a letterpress printer. I'm sure. more of a, of, like I say, a machinist that uh, has, you know, transferred my machinery skills over to rubber. So mm-hmm. that's that, that's how that works. So. Well, so can you talk about maintaining the the rollers? So maybe talk about how to care for them, what kind of, I guess, press wash to use, how to wipe them down. Like I've heard varying ways, you know, rub them back and forth all the way down, start in the middle, go, go only go out. Uh, so can you talk about, I guess, recommended ways to take care of them? Yeah, well... In order to, you, especially when they're changing colors and so forth, you want to get the ink off. Uh, you, you can use any standard press wash; will work fine. Uh, the key to anything that you use 
I'll start out with is 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 not to leave the material soaking on the rubber, not to leave it because that rubber will absorb it. And uh, you you want to wipe it, which is fine. And you can use a wet rag and and wipe as long as it evaporates off and and is nice and even all the way you know from one end to the other. Uh, some people like to start from the middle, uh, but me, I just start from one end and just wipe it down. Um, I use a, uh, you can use a mineral spirit. I use an MEK, but that, uh, ketones, that's because I use, we've always used uh, the ketones in the, um, in, uh, in tacking up the rubber when we're building it anyway, so I, I use that as a cleaner. But uh, you really don't want to use anything too harsh like that over over a long period of time because what that'll do is it'll dry out the the roller in a sense. It'll it'll pull the uh, process oils out, and uh, and if that happens, then the the rubber, the cross linkage in the rubber starts pulling together tighter and tighter. It's, it's constantly, uh, you know, curing. You could say, and it'll it'll pull in toward the middle, which will you know, give you a smaller diameter in the middle, mm-hmm. and then it'll kind of flare up on the ends. You know, so uh, that but that happens with time naturally, anyways. You know, but uh, you don't want to hasten it with uh, with harsh chemicals. So I would recommend, uh, you know, a diluted simple green. You can use you can use the California wash, uh, which I understand is pretty good. I've never used it, but I've talked to somebody. At the printers fair, about these, they have press washes. Any standard uh, press wash that you can find on the internet uh, will work fine. Like I say, do not leave a wet rag on top of your rollers overnight or something like that. You know, just don't don't leave something soaking on it. Uh, other than that, uh, they withstand just about anything. Keep them out of sunlight. Uh, keep them out of uh, fluorescent lighting too. Uh, for a long period of time, you don't want to set them in a in a room with a fluorescent light for days because there again too you could you could start develop a uh, developing a little glaze on the surface of the rubber. You want that rubber to be porous. You don't want it to have that glaze on there. Of course, you could probably wipe the glaze off if you rub it hard enough, but uh, you. Um, you want to keep them nice and supple, so to speak. You know, you have to take care of your rollers, mm-hmm. and they'll last you for a long time if you do. Um, uh, some people have had their rollers on there for ten years. You know, they're and they're working fine. Some people send them back in a year. You know, a year and a half. It just depends on on the ambient conditions. You know, the heat. Uh, right. If it's if it's the, the heat in itself doesn't bother them, but um, Anytime you um, uh, you you know you have heat, you're always you're you're cooking it. You know you're cooking. You know everything is cooking actually. You know so uh, you don't want that to happen. But uh, yeah, just room temperature. You know normal normal weather is fine. You know it doesn't nothing bothers it. So okay. it's easy. They're easy to take care of. Yeah, awesome. yeah, well, very easy. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned concentric. Uh, I want to come back to that. How you, you talked us through the process, uh, but how do you get them so precisely concentric throughout the entire roller? Well, okay. See, the concentricity involved is now you. you okay, you imagine your core. Um, uh, okay, that core. If you put it up on a lathe, which is turning, it should not be bouncing up and down. It should just be turning 
you know, and, mm-hmm. and without any bounce. Uh, if there is a bounce on there, what I'll do is I'll recenter the cores. I'll, um, I'll put a uh, put them on a la- another lathe, a machining lathe, actually, and with a steady rest, and uh, put a new center on each end. So now, what happens is that center hole is true because the steady rest is holding it where where uh, say the, uh, the 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 roller hooks are gonna are gonna be. The steady rest is holding it there, you know, like one within a, a thousandth of an inch or so. And then that center hole goes in there, and so that center hole is true to that. Core, so that's what they call a total indicator reading, a TIR. So that you put it up. In other words, if you put it between centers, that core should not move. It should not bounce up and down. It should spin perfectly round. Okay. Once that is done, then the rubber goes on there. Then it's ground also that way with that center, and so that that rubber is concentric to the core. So the rubber is not, in other words, if you were to look at the roller end on from the end, uh, just exaggerating, uh, the uh, one side wouldn't be higher than the other. You know, Mm -hmm. so there wouldn't, you know, uh, can you imagine that? uh, Like, in other words, one side would come and hit, and then the other side wouldn't. And and turn and hit and hit and miss, hit and miss, you know. So that's what you don't want. You want total concentricity. And in order to get that, your your cores do have to be fairly decent shape because um, they're designed to fit inside those roller hooks um, and and really not bounce around too much but be free enough to turn And as, as they bring down the, the rollers over the type on, on the rails. Now, there again, too, that's where they have their trucks on there. That's why trucks are, are in existence is because they support that core up on the rail. And... Um, my rubber is uh, ground approximately 15 to 25 thousandths larger than the truck so that when it comes down over type high, it lays a nice even film all the way across and you don't get ghosting. And that truck should fit on that core where it's not tight where you have to hammer it on, but it's not loose where you can waddle it, you know, make it move, you know. Right. So you just want it to slide over and uh, and there, and therefore that way you get concentricity all the way through, see. And once you get concentricity all the way through, uh, it, that eliminates a lot of the, the headaches and the problems of uh, of, um, of setting up your, your type and your print. Now if it's something else is going on, like the inks or or you don't have the the type high set just right, you know, and that type. Those are different things that printers have to deal with. But mm-hmm. uh, well, we want to make the rollers at least uh, the least of their problems. Right. So I kind of want to in- insist that they're that they're concentric. That's that's another reason. That's the reason why I, I check them, and I'll let people know your rollers are, are bent. Uh, you know, oh that's okay. We're just going to be rolling over type. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. We'll use it. Uh, oh, uh, thank you for letting me know. Uh, we're we're going to be using uh, polymer plates, and we want them to be concentric. You know, another thing too is that on a lot of the golding presses, I'll um, uh, for some reason or other, when they design those uh, those rollers for the press, they're fine. But to me, eh, with this machine's background, they seem a little uh, a little on the weak side. You know, the the roller cores themselves seem a little on the weak side. They're a little little uh, small in diameter, uh, 
you know, especially for like I say, they they have a flex in them and so forth. You know, and I that that seems to be okay with most of the applications. But like I say, when you start getting to fine printing on these things, uh, you you want something a little more robust. You know, so what I do is uh, when I make new golden cores, I'll I'll make the body of the core uh, about an eighth of an inch or so. Uh, larger than the original factory specs. In other words, if there's a 7 sixteenths core, I'll make the body a half inch. And, uh, I, you know, of course, being with all the equipment I have here, I can make them anything I want. So if somebody has a, a specific uh, thing where they want uh, their cores, uh, say, beefier, I can do that, and I can just uh, bore out the trucks to fit that particular, you know, Core, but see there again too. They have to fit into the hooks, so you can't you can't vary too much on the ends. But you can make the core body a little sturdier, which is nice, you know. So, yeah. uh, so it's just different things, you know. It's all it's all mechanics, you know. So, uh, it, it it everything should be in sync. There there should be a, a symmetry to uh, uh, your rollers, your your inks, your type high, your you know, there should be a, a good symmetry. Well, you would know that. You know, I guess I would understand mm-hmm. if you're using a Vandercook. You know right. what I mean? You know what I mean about you know the, the settings and so forth. You know, so absolutely, you yeah. got to have got to have that symmetry. So we try to keep our rollers as concentric as possible. Wait, you know? is, is there? <laughs> I would say. I, I mean, I, I I don't have precise measuring tools, but ours look great to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I use you know uh, I use micrometers, right, <laughs> so right, I know. yeah, uh, micrometers and pie tapes, which you measure you know to within thousandth of an inch, you know. So um, yeah, so I mean, uh, not the letterpress rollers are uh, you know in general letterpress rollers uh, are are not. Uh, but they would they would call precision, you know, precision rollers that would go and, like, say, a roller inside of a, a copier or you know, mm-hmm. you know a scanner, you know, or you know, real precision type high, or something that would go in the space shuttle or something like that. You know, <laughs> I mean, these rollers have got you know they're 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 on letter yeah. on letter presses, yeah, and they were designed to work that way, you know, 100 150 years ago. So. Um, but even with that in mind, I still try to make them as accurate as possible because, I could say, down the road it eliminates a lot of problems. You know, so right. Well, yeah. Is there is there a particular ink type that is better for the rubber roller? So my wife and I usually use rubber based ink, although we we have some oil based ink. And I know that a lot of people there's there's also some other types. People get creative with inks, and uh, there's. I'm just curious if one is better than the other on the rubber rollers. Well, you know, uh, not being a printer, I don't have a lot of experience in in the different types of ink. Um, a lot of people use water-based ink, from what I understand, because right. um, it's easier cleanup and so forth, especially if they're changing colors a lot. Um, oil-based inks are, are nice. They, 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 they do, and oil-based ink actually conditions the roller too as it's being used you know um a lot of these inks are fine i i you know you can use any ink on on this particular rubber it's designed for 
Well, I'd say harsh environments, you know, that they used in, in, in big printing companies, you know, that they, they used all kind of different kinds of inks there, alcohol systems before they banned it. Well, they banned, banned the alcohol system here in California a while back, but before they used to, you know, uh, dilute with alcohol and so forth. And so the rubber was designed for that, but uh, you can use any ink that you, that you, that, that's your preference, you know, your, your viscosity could, you know, you know, it just depends on what you like. Sure. You know, what you okay. you know, what's what's easier to to work with. Uh, I I know a gentleman that we we see every year at the uh, printers fair is uh, the ink and tubes man, the ink and tubes gentleman. Yeah, I forget the name of his company, but real nice guy, real nice guy. He sells ink and tubes. <laughs> so ink that, and tubes maybe guy. that's the name of the company, ink and tubes. Ink and yeah. tubes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. one last question I have for you. Um, so our rollers, uh, our rubber rollers that we got from you are black, but I've seen other color rubber rollers. Are those, is that just based on your supplier or is there a significance to the color? No, actually, uh, there is no significance to the color whatsoever. Um, the color is just a dye. the The actual rubber itself is a is a neutral color. Um, it's a like a like a like a light brown or you know amberish light brown color. You know, but people use color uh, in in rubber because. Uh, it, it, it identifies first of all identifies there there in other words if i were to get a blue rubber in here a blue roller in here i, I know i didn't make it you know so right. uh, but uh, I, that rarely happens where i have to call anybody out on that i don't i don't do that you know but um some people do you know and so they use their own particular colors uh some people use blue some people use a red a rust colored rubber uh, I use black because it's a neutral color. Uh, the, the a lot of people print with black inks, and so you know, it, it and and black looks good. You know, it goes with mm-hmm. everything. You know, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just a good standard color. And uh, some people like blue because they think blue is uh, is a neater color. Uh, you know, it looks good on the press, and so well, that's fine. You know, but it's just a color. It's just a dye. There's no there's no, there's no real significance at all. I can think of other than the magnesium that some people use when they when they go with the blue, but I don't think uh, that that just the magnesium that they use in that is just to smooth the color out, not to not to enhance the rubber. The rubber is the rubber, you know. It's going to be what it is. Mm-hmm. It's just a color. They you know they actually have uh, uh, odors or smells that you can put in rubber also. So if you're putting wow. the dye in. You can put uh, strawberry or banana or coconut. <laughs> Have you thought about a <laughs> strawberry flavored uh, <laughs> rubber? A strawberry series? flavored? I've used it. And when you grind it, the whole shop smells like strawberries. I'm, I kid you not. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, 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 you know, but the funny thing is, it's still rubber. And so when you when you when you take it off and 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 you see the it it looks just like a regular rubber roller yeah. and you and you put put it up to your nose to sniff it or smell it it's it smells like strawberry and rubber. <laughs> so I mean it's not a it doesn't smell like a a, a pure strawberry but it smells right. like strawberry it's strawberry rubber strawberryized rubber or whatever, you know. Wow. So now they people can you can do that too. So I mean like I say color is not a 
color is not an issue. I don't use. I could get blue. I could. Be, you know, I could get anything I want, but I just stay with black. You know, I'm fine with that. I, no sense in changing anything now. If it, right. If it isn't broke, don't don't fix <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. If it ain't know. broke, don't fix it. Yeah. I like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I like that phrase a lot. Yeah. That old phrase. Yeah. Um, well, one yeah, other, that's one other thing ahead. I wanted to ask you about uh, is I've heard with uh, a term I've heard a lot with rubber rolls is durometer. Is that durometer? Durometer, durometer is um, is a measurement of hardness. Um, in the rubber industry, durometer there's there's two basic scales: is zero to a hundred, and then a hundred. And then zero to a hundred on the on the D scale. Well, on the A scale, it's uh, the rubber we use is about a twenty-four durometer, which is fairly soft, pretty soft. But of course, you can get down to about a twenty durometer. Uh, that's extremely hard to, harder to work with because it's harder to grind and polish and so forth. But it is a little bit softer. But you know, it it doesn't change anything significantly from 20 to 24 but from 24 to say uh, a 35 durometer as you as you rise the 35 gets a little harder now there could be a difference there in in application so you don't want to go with anything harder than a 24 or 25 um, your rollers will get harder over a period of time the durometer will rise on that um, you know, uh, it could go up to as high as 35, maybe even 40 over a long period of time. But it's just like uh, like anything else, like an automobile tire that uh, eventually will get harder. They're not as supple than, as they are when they're new. Right. Um, they, they get harder over time with the heat on the road and so forth, that type of thing. Any rubber will do that. Uh, so that's the durometer. It usually goes okay. from zero to a hundred. So ninety is extreme. Or ninety, they use ninety on on pallet jack uh, rollers or, or, or forklift tires, things like that. They use that real hard rubber. Um, then you get to the D scale, and if you're up at uh, twenty on the D scale, it's like a or ten on a D scale, I believe. That's uh, like a bowling ball. You know, oh wow! Part of the bowling ball, yeah. So you start getting harder and harder. So you can go up to 100 on the D scale, which is extremely hard. It's almost as hard as steel, you know. So, um, you know, and that's rubber. But uh, that's very rare that the applications, most of the applications that we use are, uh, I, all, all the letterpress we use, of course, are 24 durometer, all the printing rollers. But we do use uh, some 55 on, on uh, macerator rollers for the date company. I, I have... Uh, couple of date companies out here in in the California desert that uh, their grows they process dates and so they use this 55 durometer on their rollers which pulls the dates through real nice because it's got what they got a good coefficient of friction and then the blades come down and chop all the meat off the dates and then the pits go in one area and the meat of the dates go in another area so that's what they do so um yeah, I do. I have to use different durometers, but it's a different type of rubber altogether, too. Right. It's a neoprene. It's a neoprene rubber. It's not designed for printing. But, you know, with printing, I stick with about a 24 durometer. 25 durometer is fine. You know, 
I, you know, like I say, they work good. <laughs> well, yeah. I guess yours, yours are working. How long have you had your, your rollers? Um, not too long. We just got our Vandercook in April. Mm. Uh, and as soon okay. as, as soon as we got it into our house, it wasn't, it was, so we, we were also remodeling uh, a room in our home to be our studio. And as soon as we got it into our house, I mean, it's sitting on dollies. It's in our living room next to our television. I, <laughs> I immediately take the rollers off and I email Jane and I say, you know, we've got to get new rollers immediately. You know, this has got to happen yeah. now. We just got out of press. And of course, once, get it going. You, once we yeah. got them back from you guys, it, I think the press still sat there for another month while we were continuing uh-huh. to remodel. But well, we were, at least you're started. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least you got started, you know. Yeah. There you go. Taking taking that first step, you know. Yeah. So well, yeah. fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much, Adrian, for for taking the time. I I'm definitely going to submit my order next time for strawberry flavored rubber rollers. So <laughs> you got eye. it. Now we do have banana and coconut also. <laughs> Awesome. depending on your mood <laughs> uh, well, look, thank you so much okay. for taking the time well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you Same. I here. hope I... I was able to answer some questions about the uh, letterpress rollers and uh, we want to keep this industry going I think it's a wonderful industry and there's plenty of presses out there that are hidden in barns and attics or basements I mean not attics that fall through the roof <laughs> uh, basements that, that need to be brought out and you know they need to be brought out and, and brought back to life, you know, so Absolutely. let's do that. Yeah, well, fantastic. Well, thank <laughs> you so much. This was a fantastic conversation. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Uh, to find links to some of the references made throughout our conversation, you can visit the show notes page for this uh, particular episode. That's at letterpressdigest.com forward slash eight. Although I will admit it may be a few days delayed for this holiday. Um But if you find yourself in need of new rollers or having your rollers recovered, uh, you should definitely talk with Jane and Adrian at Ramco Roller. Uh, We got our Vandercook rollers recovered by them, uh, and they have been fantastic. Uh, The link to their website is also on the show notes page. Uh, I also want to just take a moment to wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I know if you are listening to this much later on, everything and that's really weird comment uh for mid-july but rest assured this episode is being released the week of thanksgiving uh and i'm thankful you're interested in letterpress and preserving our craft Uh, so keep it up let me know if i can help see y'all in two weeks